So the past couple of weeks, we've been taking a break from our normal practice at Shining Star, which is to preach through different books of the Bible or sections of the Bible. We do that because we believe that God's word is perfect, it is inerrant, uh, it is trustworthy, and so instead of picking and choosing what to preach on each week, we just trust that God has a word for us. And so normally we would preach through different books of the Bible. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, after we finished First Timothy, we said that um, God is leading us to in this season as we learned about what it means to be a gospel-centered church, as we looked at the blueprint for a healthy church in First Timothy, we said that uh, all these plans are great, all these instructions are great, knowing the structure and the design of the church is great, but at the end of the day, without God's presence, without His Spirit, all of this is, is worthless, because without the presence of God, we can never execute the plan of God. So we've been taking a mini break and we've been focusing on God's presence, especially um, on the person of the Holy Spirit to understand who he is and, and how he works in our lives. And we said that this is essential for every believer because the Bible makes it very clear that every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, not only do we receive this incredible gift of salvation, but we gain access to the fullness of God's presence because the Holy Spirit now resides in us. It says in, in Romans 8 how, how this beautiful gift is given to us through Christ, and it is through the Holy Spirit we encounter Jesus. It is through the Spirit that we understand all truth. Um, he is the one who makes us holy on a daily basis. He helps us to become more like the Father more like Jesus Christ, um, all we need in life is found in God's presence. And John 7 says, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is the source of living water, the source of God's presence, and allows us to experience life, not just eternal life, but life in abundance. So all of the Spirit that we need, we receive at the moment of salvation. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you you have access to this spirit. But we said that it is one thing to have the spirit. It's another thing to be filled with that spirit. It is one thing to have all of the spirit. It's another thing for the spirit to have all of you. So last week we talked about what it means to be filled with the spirit. We said that being filled with the spirit is giving up control being filled with the Spirit is being saturated in God's Word. We said that being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as, as being full of God's Word. And, and we talked about how this, this leads us to a life of joy and, 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 and thanksgiving and godliness. But the question that we have to ask is, what's next? So what happens now that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, now that we understand that we need to fill our lives with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, removing those barriers, making ourselves available to the Spirit, what happens next? What happens when we are filled with the Spirit of God? In today's passage, Paul uses four different commands to help us understand what a Spirit-filled life looks like. Notice the verbs that Paul uses in today's passage in relation to the Spirit. It says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. And again, keep in step with the Spirit. 
So all four commands, all four imperatives are pointing to one central idea. The Christian life is a spirit-led life. The Christian life is a spirit-led life. There are two things I want you to notice from, from these phrases. Number one is this, the idea of walking, it contains a relationship of interaction and also points to a relationship of direction. So interaction and direction, those are the two things that you see in this, this walking with the Spirit. When I was in seminary in Texas, um, normally during the day it was pretty hot, but at night uh, people just enjoy walking uh, around the campus. And, and so I remember there would be times when people would run or they would just walk with their friends. But every now and then I would see a guy and a girl walking around the campus. And if I saw this couple like, more than once on a daily basis, I would see this guy and this, this girl uh, I wouldn't simply think that, okay, those, those, those two are good workout buddies. No, that's not what's coming to my mind. I'm, I'm thinking that, okay, they are in a deep relationship. They are intimate with one another. Them walking together on a daily basis, side by side, it shows that they are interacting with one another. Walking with someone is a relational thing. When it says walk by the Spirit, it means that it is possible for us to have a personal and powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we talked about before. We said that the Holy Spirit is not simply a force or a type of energy that you control. Rather, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And so you can relate to the Holy Spirit. It makes complete sense because the Holy Spirit is God. And God wants us to relate to him. So walking in the Spirit first means interacting with the Spirit in a personal, intimate way. But notice, you are not just walking in circles when you are walking with the Spirit, but it says in verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Now, I remember when I, I was about to get married, uh, my wife and I, we got married in Seoul, Korea, because a lot of our relatives, our families are, are, were living in Korea. And um, this was a big deal because uh, my wife, she came to the States when she was in middle school. And, and ever since, she always uh, just lived in the States. For, so for the first time in 10 years, she was visiting Korea. And even when she was living in Korea uh, back then, uh, she, she didn't live in Seoul. She lived somewhere else. So she had no idea uh, where everything was in Seoul. She didn't know where to go to, where the good places are. Um, but me, on the other hand, I knew Seoul very well. I knew all the hot places, all the good food, and, and where to go. And so I just told my wife, uh, hey, trust me. Uh, and she just followed my lead everywhere we went. Like, it was, it was a blast. Uh, she didn't have to worry about anything because she knew that I knew the places that we should go, and I knew how to get to those places. The same is true when we walk with the Spirit. When you are in a foreign place, but yet you know someone who is local, who can guide you and lead you. It is comforting. The Holy Spirit is, is that person that leads us in the midst of this, this, this confusing world. As we are living as foreigners, the Holy Spirit knows the way. He knows exactly where we need to go to. He knows exactly how to get to our, that destination. He's leading us to God, to holiness, to joy, to, to love in a, on a daily basis. And so, 
following the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, it might sound scary, but it's not scary at all because the Holy Spirit knows exactly where we need to go and He knows exactly how to get there. And so life in the Spirit is about interaction and it is about direction. So what happens when you follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life? I just want to share three things that are true about a spirit-led life. Number one, a spirit-led life is marked by a change in desire. A spirit-led life is marked by a change in desire. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we need to know when Paul is using the word flesh, he's not alluding to simply a physical reality. He's not talking about your skin or your muscle or your fat that's covering your bones. Uh, Rather, he's talking about a spiritual reality. He's talking about the fallen, the sinful human nature that exists in every human being that does not enjoy nor submit to the things of God. In Romans 8, Verse 7 and 8, it says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So if you set your mind on the flesh, you become enemies with God. You are hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. You walk in disobedience. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible makes it very clear that as human beings, we are inherently self-centered. We are selfish We are sinful. It is part of our nature that we gravitate towards the things not of God, that we gravitate towards the things that are actually sinful. Um, That's just our human nature. Just think about a a child. And when a child is born, when they're young, everything about them is all about themselves. They are so self-centered. They are selfish. Um, That's why you need to later on teach them how to share with others, how to live with others, how to love others. It's because inherently we have this selfish nature within ourselves. So this is something that, that exists in every human being. This is something that we see in the Garden of Eden. When you think about what Adam and Eve did when they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, They're making a statement. Instead of living and delighting in the ways of God, they said, I'm going to do what seems good and right to me, following my wants and my desires rather than what God desires for my life. So this is something that exists in the Garden of Eden. This is also something that exists in every human heart. It says in verse 17, For desires of the flesh are against the spirit, And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul says here, there are two desires that are clashing inside of you. There is this internal war that's taking place in your heart. Now, last Saturday, we had Hallelujah Day, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Our children came out to church, and they played a lot of games. And at the end of the day, they received these big bags of candy. And so Timothy, Irene, they each got a bag of candy. And when we got home, being the good father that I am, I told them that they can't have all that candy at once, but um, they have to eat just one piece of candy a day. Now, so we, we store the bag of candy in, in, 
and, and, and the shelf, and we put them to sleep. And the very first thing that I did as I went to that shelf, I took out that candy. I, I poured that candy in front of me, and I didn't just eat a piece of candy, but I just went through the whole bag. Now, as I was looking at the candy, I knew that it wasn't good for me. I knew that if I wanted to, to live a healthy life, I shouldn't intake all this sugar. So I knew what I was supposed to do at that moment. But part of me just wanted to eat this candy. There was this internal desire that I had that instead of doing what was right, I just wanted to do what felt good for my body at that time. My body was craving sugar. In the same way, we know that there is this clash of desires when you're trying to live a healthy life. If you want to live a healthy life, you can't just eat whatever you want to eat. You can't sleep how, how much you want to sleep. You have to monitor how much you sleep, uh, get the right amount of sleep. You also have to exercise. You have to do these different things. Discipline is a big part of living a healthy life. The same is true about our spiritual life as well. If we want to live a healthy spiritual life, what we need to do is instead of following the things that we want to do, we need to choose what is good and what is right. And this is really, really difficult because inside of us, there's a clash of desires. The desires of our flesh is that we want to just do whatever seems right to ourselves. But if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and the Holy Spirit is telling you what you need to do, what is right in God's eyes. So, so the problem with all of this is not that we don't know what we're supposed to do, it's it's that we are weak. We are sinful in our nature. We are wired in a way that we naturally crave the things that are not of God. But here's the good news. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now notice, Paul does not say if you are a Christian, if you are walking by the Spirit, you won't struggle with your flesh at all. Or you won't have this these fleshly desires at all. That's not what he says. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, although you have a desire to do things according to your flesh, your desire to do the things of God will become stronger. It is not unusual for a Christian to struggle with sin, to have these sinful desires. In fact, the Bible says it is absolutely normal for a Christian to have these struggles even after they gave their lives to Jesus. No, if you don't believe me, just read Romans 7 where Paul, he has this inner struggle. He says, there are certain things that, that I know that are good and right, but there are things that my flesh desires. And so he has this, this battle inside of him. And later on he says, man, I am hopeless what a wretched person I am. Who can save me from this body of death? And so he comes to a place where he realizes that his desire, his, his earthly desire, his, the desires of his flesh inside of him are so strong. But the hope that he has is this. When he goes to Romans 8, he talks about the spirit. He talks about how to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is it's life and, and peace. And so there is victory when you walk with the Spirit. When you walk by the Spirit, your life is no longer driven by your desires. Your desires are driven by God's desires. 
that, that, that desire that the Holy Spirit places in you, it becomes stronger than your own desires. Your desires to love God, to honor God, becomes greater than your own desires. So don't get too discouraged when you are struggling with sin. I heard quite often some people would come up to me and they would share that they're struggling with the same type of sin. It's not that they're, they're not making any progress, but um, they're just dealing with the same issue. They're struggling with the same um, kind of uh, desire in their flesh, and, and they question whether or not they're actually saved. Um, their battle, uh, their spiritual battle with the flesh, it leads them to question their own salvation. But what I want to share is this. If you have that internal struggle, if it bothers you that, that you are desiring certain things that are not of God, if you recognize that that is a problem, then you're in good territory because that means you have the Spirit of God working inside of you and that Spirit is crying out to you, letting you know that life doesn't have to be this way. However, on the flip side, if there is no fight within you, if you don't struggle with sin at all, if there is no repentance in your life, if you are constantly driven by your own desires and wants and you care little to none about what God desires for your life, then you ought to have no confidence that you are a child of God. No, for those who have such a casual approach to sin, if sin doesn't even bother them, then I have no idea how they can be confident in, in, in their salvation. Now, I'm not saying that, that we're saved by our works. I'm not saying that we're saved by our fruit. I do believe that we are saved by faith alone. But what I am saying is if our faith does not produce any works, if we have workless faith or fruitless faith, then we ought to question our faith to begin with. But on the flip side, although you have these spiritual struggles inside of you, um, if your desire is to grow in your walk with the Lord and, and you want to battle for holiness, then you can have assurance that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you because you belong to Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to live in and to be led by the Holy Spirit, a Spirit-led life? is marked by a change in desire. Number two, a spirit-led life is marked by a change in motive. A spirit-led life is marked by a change in motive. It says in verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what does it mean to be under the law? Paul talks about this in, in, in Romans uh, as well as other places, but to live under the law, I, I picture... Um, the Jews in the Old Testament. Uh, I picture the Pharisees. They were living under the law. They didn't just love the law. They were motivated by the law. Everything that they did, uh, it was motivated uh, by them keeping the law. Uh, and why did they make such a big deal out of the law? Well, they believed that if they, they just kept the law good enough, that if they lived a certain way, that they would be, be good with God that their relationship with God was, was right and, and pure simply by keeping the law. And so their motivation a lot of times was, was legalism. A lot of times it was driven by fear. Uh, they, they were afraid of God and they didn't want to kind of test him in any way. And so uh, having to, to deal with this fear, they would be driven to keep the law. But the Bible tells us today that those who are led by the Spirit, they're not motivated by fear. They're not motivated by the law. 
but they are motivated by love. They're motivated by grace. They're motivated by the work of God. The walking by the Spirit is not a matter of do's and don'ts. Walking by the Spirit is about, is about following, following the Spirit. It's not about doing, it's about following the Spirit. It's not about just doing work. Uh, I, I remember um, just a couple of days ago, uh, my wife, after putting um, the kids to bed, uh, I had a sermon to preach the next day, so I told my wife uh, I would go and prepare for the sermon. Um, although I knew that we had a big pile of dishes um, that, that were dirty, and we also had a bunch of clothes that, that needed to be washed. And, and knowing all of that, I just said, hey, me being called as, as a pastor, I said I was going to go and prepare a sermon. And as we were uh, kind of having a conversation, my wife, um, she just mentioned how she, how she wished that there would be more helping hands. She said that, oh, I wonder you know, if it would be nice um, to, to live with our in-laws, uh, my parents. And at that moment, I got up, not because I, I don't love my in-laws. I love my in-laws. Uh, but I recognized something. I recognized that, that she was really, really tired after a long day of work, after you know, struggling with the kids and after like, putting them to bed. I, I recognized that, that she just needed some help. Uh, and so I gladly uh, did the dishes for her, for her and, and tried to do other stuff before I did any further sermon prep. And if you ask me why I, I made that decision at that moment, I can confidently tell you that it's not because I felt like I was going to get in trouble if I didn't help her at that moment. It's not because I felt like she was going to do something to me if I didn't help her. It was mainly because I love her. I was driven by love. I care for her deeply. And so it was my delight to, to, to walk in a way that would honor her, that would cherish her. And the same is true about God. You know, a lot of people in different religions, they are driven by fear, uh, a work-based um, religion. Um, but Christianity is not about work. It's, it's about delight. You don't do things because you have to do it. You do things because you want to do it. When you are in love with God, no longer does living according to God's word become a burden. It becomes a delight. You don't just obey and honor God because you have to. You obey and honor God because you want to. And so that's the change in motive. When you are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, your life is marked by a change in, in motive. So you are no longer simply living to, to meet the law. And by the way, when you are driven by fear, when you are simply led by the law, what you tend to do is you try to do the bare minimum so that you just would stay out of trouble. But when you are driven by love, you try to do your best to, to walk in obedience, to do honor the other person. So that's the change in, in motive. A spirit-led life is marked by a change in desire. A spirit-led life is marked by a change in motive. And third, a spirit-led life is marked by a change in fruit. A spirit-led life is marked by a change in fruit. It says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then Paul gives a long list of, of sins that, that are produced out of the sinful desires and the sinful motives. And, and we don't have time to go through every single one of them, but just know that sinful works always are produced by sinful desires. And the works of the flesh is what you do when you are driven by the desires of the flesh. But notice how he, he, he changes the narrative in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. So now we don't have too much time to dive into all the details about the fruit of the Spirit, but there's two things I want you to notice. Number one is this. When Paul talks about the flesh, he says, these are the works of the flesh. But when he talks about the Spirit, he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. So what's the difference between work and between fruit? Now, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, when he could have said the work of the Spirit, he's trying to highlight a simple point. He's saying that, that this is not just mechanical growth. You know, when you build something with your own hands, like whatever work that you put in, you see the results. But when it comes to gardening, when it comes to producing fruit, yes, you put some work in, but you need some extra help. You need help from nature. You need something supernatural to take place for the plant to grow, to, to the plant to produce fruit. And so what Paul is highlighting is this. As, as much as you are putting work in to produce the fruit of the Spirit, it is mainly the, the, the Spirit that's working in you. So as you put in this little work, the fruit is produced by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is allowing your, your heart to change in a way that you're seeing love, joy, all these different characteristics of Christ in your life. And so notice that when you are working, you're kind of the main person doing all the work, but when you are bearing fruit, it is the Spirit that's working inside of you. The other thing that's interesting about fruit is this. A lot of times, you don't see growth in a fruit from day to day. But over a period of time, you see growth. Now, there are some times when um, in different seasons, like it seems like the, the tree is just the same. There's nothing different. Uh, but what happens during harvest season is inevitably you always see fruit. If everything goes right, then you will see fruit. The same is true about our walk with the Lord, about our journey with the Spirit. There are times when it is really hard to see growth in ourselves, but just like bearing fruit, uh, inevitably, over time, you will see the work of the Spirit in your life. There are times when you might not notice the change in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in your life on a day-to-day basis, but, but people are going to recognize this change. No, and also this means that we need to encourage other people uh, about their spiritual growth. You know, every now and then I'll see people um, that I haven't seen for quite a bit, especially if they're teenagers, and I'll see them and haven't seen them in the past couple of years, and I'll notice the growth that took place physically, that they're taller, they're bigger, um, and I'll tell them, man, you grew so much. Now, when I'm with this person on a day-to-day basis, I wouldn't notice that growth, but because, you know, I saw them over, uh, I haven't seen them uh, for a long time, I noticed this growth. And, and for that person, they would say, oh, I didn't know I grew so much. The same is true about our spiritual walk. The same is true with, when, when we are growing in the spirit, when we're producing fruit. There are times when we don't notice the, the, the fruit of the spirit in us. And so other people have to affirm that for us. And so it is an important practice for us to encourage one another to recognize that fruit um, that is being produced in one another by the Spirit. And so summarizing this whole section, Paul says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And says verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, we receive the gift of the Spirit, the moment of salvation, when we give our lives to Jesus. 
And on a day-to-day basis, we fill our lives with the Spirit. And what happens as we fill our lives with the Spirit, in the beginning, we are led by the Spirit. Now just imagine how in the beginning a toddler has a hard time uh, following their parents. And so the parent is leading the toddler, uh, teaching the toddler how to walk. But over time, what happens is the toddler grows to a child, and and after some time, they're able to keep in step with the Spirit. This is a spiritual reality that takes place when we are led by the Spirit. In the beginning, the Spirit is leading us in all these different areas. But as you are continuing this walk, what happens is your thoughts become the thoughts of the Spirit. Your work becomes the works of the Spirit. Your character becomes the character of Christ. Everything that you do... It aligns with the Spirit, and that's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. You know, in our flesh, we have a tendency to, to view our, our walk with Jesus in a, in, 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 in a work-based, flesh-driven way. That we always think of our desires and our wants first. Why, God, you don't do this for me, and God, I want this from you. And a lot of times we operate out of fear to obey God's word, but what the Bible tells us today is this. It doesn't have to be that way, that the Spirit leads us in a way that we are not driven by our own fleshly desires, but we can be driven by the things of God. That we don't have to find our faith based on works, but our faith can be based on grace. And if you read the book of Acts, especially the early church, although they didn't have much uh, to begin with, they didn't have a big church building or a lot of resources, uh, but one thing that they did have was the Spirit of God. And it is through the Spirit of God they, they lived in the Word of God. And, and really, the book of Acts is simply a picture of Spirit-filled, Spirit-led churches and Christians. In the same way, in this new season, as God is leading us to be a gospel-centered church, my prayer is that you and I, that we'll be filled with the Spirit, that we led by the Spirit on a day-to-day basis, that we experience the fullness of the Spirit and be led by Him in a way that we'll be led further deeper into, in, into God's purposes, His holiness, that we would see this fruit that bears in our life. So uh, let's remember this and walk and follow and be led by the Spirit on a day-to-day basis. Amen? Amen.